This is the Detroit is Different Podcast Network, the culture of an American classic city. Tune in weekly to the Piper Carter Podcast with Piper Carter for a conscious take on music, arts, politics, and fashion. The founder of We Found Hip Hop has a say on what you should know about culture with a balanced conscience. You're listening to the Piper Carter Podcast on the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back to the Piper Carter podcast. You are listening to Piper Carter with our token millennial. What's up, Brittany? Hi, Piper. Wow. It was a great week, yo. It was a great weekend. A great weekend. Shout out to you at Dilla Youth Day. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah. You guys should have seen her. She had her blazer on. Had her. Did you get a haircut? A tiny little haircut? It wasn't a haircut. I a, just a had washed it. my hair that morning and it didn't fluff back out like you I had, wanted it to. You had your blazer on. You had that hair. Mm-hmm. You was. You had that look. I had the look? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's you good. You was glowing. Oh, glow? It's mm-hmm. good to glow. And everything was running smoothly. You know why? Why is that? Nina Payne. Hey, shout out Nina. Shouts out to Nina Payne. Yes. She makes the wheels go round. She does a, a wonderful job. She does all the logistics. She's co-coordinator. Mm-hmm. She envisions like where everything should go and how it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some great workshops like uh, um, GMAC. Remember GMAC we had on here I before? I was so sorry that I missed GMAC's, but and I saw that I missed it when I was going to Bayonne's. Okay, yeah, and Bayonne we had on here. So okay, so the the teen rooms had the different workshops, right? Yeah, and so. Um, GMAC's workshop was really genius because what he did is he had young people writing rhymes mm-hmm. based off of a current event. And so because Detroit is the um, human trafficking capital and, and because young people are constantly getting um, wrapped in human trafficking, he did it on human trafficking. And people were like, wow, he did that with the kids? But all the kids had friends that are like trapped in human trafficking. So they all had, could like contribute to the conversation, which is like sad and powerful at the, the same, same time. time. Yeah. Bayans was awesome. They also, you know, shouts out to them. That was, um, she actually taught the Jalen Rose poetry club, but she also has her own collective called wisdom poets, which is the women poetry that she told us about on the show. Mm-hmm. And, um, she did that. That was geared towards I, I, uh, young girls. Yeah. I stopped in there, and she's so good with kids. Isn't she? Like, I mean, it's like she has this, like, perfect balance of, like, remaining herself and being transparent, but also, like, this, like, degree of separation that allows them to know that she's in teacher mode. It's, right. It's, it's amazing chemistry. Isn't it great? It was amazing. And the kids, shout out to the kids at Jalen Rhodes Academy because there were two or three of them that were there and their poetry was beautiful, Piper. One of them is the son of Leif Erickson, okay. who is a legendary Detroit MC. Understood. He came. You know, something that I realized is Dilla Youth Day brings out all the dads. <laughs> I saw. There were so many dads. And, and it was dads coming with daughters like... All these dads came out with their daughters and sons, and it was just like, it was dads everywhere. It was dads in the baby room, like, playing baby stuff in kitchen and cooking and doing all types of STEAM activities. Shouts out to Saba and Blue Babies. Mm. They held down the room for six and under. They brought all these arts materials and, you know, just stuff for them to do. They had a dance party. She brought party (laughs) hats. To celebrate Dilla's birthday. That's so they sweet. did a birthday party for Jay Dilla. Oh, it was so adorable. And all the kids were just like running around having a great time. And parents had to stay with them in that room. So it was just full of parents and kids and just fun and just so much creativity. It was just incredible. I mean, Piper, like even from pulling up, like I pulled up probably for the listeners. I think you guys got started around one. I probably pulled up at around one thirty, And it was like. 
almost worse parking than you were trying to go to the festival. Wow. Yeah. Like you guys had like that part of the, what do they call it now? The Midtown. The, the education, the cultural area. Mm-hmm. Y'all had it rocking. Thank you. Yeah, we did. I mean, it's a lot of work. Shouts out to um, Charles Farrell, um, Vice President of Public Programs mm. and the Charles H. Wright Museum. Yes. Shouts out to Kristen Waterman um, and the whole team, um, Saunders Lee, like everyone that's at the Charles H. Wright to like uh, facilitate and manage and make this happen. Everyone in buildings and maintenance, mm. you know, shouts out to all our volunteers. Shouts out to public allies who came through. They volunteered. They held it down. Shouts out to public allies for real. Yeah, they Man, did. Piper. It was awesome. How we, many vendors do you think you had there? Um, or not that many actually. Well, I want to say all together, maybe like 40, That's 50. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe 40, 50. Um, but it's, you know, they were intense, you know, like stations, you know, Dude, like shout yeah. out to James McMullen. Shout out. Yeah. And um, Victoria, they held down the, they had a makerspace so the kids could come and do like making with electronics. So they mm. made these pyramids that lit up with LEDs. Inside. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. What? So what, who, what is, could you say their name again? The group? So, well, basically it's just really James McMullen. He's okay. been with us from the beginning. Okay. He is, a wonderful human being. He teaches at the library. I've done several makerspaces with him. Mm-hmm. He's great with young people. He helps them understand how to enjoy science and technology and math and robotics okay. in a way that is fun and it's an interesting project and it's culturally relevant. It is. It was it was so cool. And like I saw some kids, like they were so excited when their their like lights lit up. Yeah, because like, they have to figure out how to make all the connections with all of the components. Mm-hmm. And wires and batteries and LED lights. And then they have to figure out how to make them work. So it's basically like the basics of how does electricity work. But it's also color theory because you have to um, understand like how to make it go blue or red or green. Mm -hmm. You know, so that was that was you want to know who I was excited to see who Ingrid. Wasn't she incredible? Yeah. So yeah, Ingrid was there. All our podcast people were there. Shout huh? out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she brought EOS Detroit, shouts out, had lots of information because they also teach cryptocurrency to youth. So her and her mom were there. Shouts out to EOS Detroit. Oh, that was her mom. They, that's mm-hmm. cool. That's and really and cool. the other EOS Detroit um, members were there, Okay. you know, teaching about um, youth entrepreneurship mm. through um, the cryptocurrency. So, and also about cryptocurrency in general. So they have programs, they were promoting that and um, that was cool. And then um, inside Spin Inc. had all these different hands-on beat making activities. We'll have to bring them on. Please. Yeah. Um, there were these two different girls software. from France. They're talking about how they moved to Detroit and they're a part of this program. And it was like a, light, a lighter skin Email and oh, a very the Seraphine Collective. Oh, I'm wrong. My bad. My bad. My bad. My Seraphine bad. Collective are um, women. We'll have to bring them on here. They are based out of Allied Media. They're a DJ, an all woman DJ collective. They teach women how to DJ. So they were doing beat matching. And so they were teaching beat matching. And then Spin Inc. had like one table that was like Ableton software teaching like how to produce music with Ableton. Okay. They had another one that was teaching Hercules and then they had another like DJ station. Okay. And, um, they, they had some fruity loops available, some garage band available. 
Um, and then if you moved over to Adazokan, who also was on our podcast. Hey, shout out Knox and Christy. Shout out Knox and Christy. They had a whole station. And um, when they were doing like designing and sticker making, mm-hmm. and that was one station. Then another station they had beat making with Ableton. And then another one they had recording, like song recording. Um, we had Class Act Detroit. They were awesome. They were also teaching beat making um and you know on the mpc mm-hmm. and that was like super 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 i incredible. enjoyed him he was really down to earth the gentleman that like led yeah led that. he's incredible yeah and then we had um tesla who was also teaching beat making with ableton he was doing actually he was doing sampling okay. so he was uh, showing you how to do sampling okay and um then i mean there was we had the um stitching up detroit Oh, they uh, that did the t-shirts. How many t-shirts do you think you guys did? If you had to guess, a couple hundred. Piper, that was the like litness. Like couple they had hundred. the they did they made that design. They themselves. had like three or four different t-shirt colors. Yeah, and then like maybe they had like well they had two different actual t-shirt colors. So oh. the t-shirt colors were like blue or green, mm-hmm. and then they had the different ink colors, and then they had yep. foil, like sparkly foil that they could put on top. And so, um, yeah, like Stitching Up Detroit comes every year. They've been a part of it. All these people have been there every year. Um, they bring uh, their creativity. They have these shirts. They basically design the shirt themselves, and it's just incredible. And then, um, you know, shouts out to Mav1. We'll have to bring them on here. But, um, you know, they held down the B-Boy b-girl section upstairs that was my first time seeing break dancing really in real person in real life mm-hmm. so that's motor city street dance academy okay they're located in southwest detroit and yeah man has been a part of it since the beginning they're part of the founding members all most of these people are founding members that make that make this experience what it is mm. and then we've got um for, uh, who else was upstairs oh camping there's like a new like camping organization um, Camp Detroit that where they're teaching young people they take them out into wilderness and show them survival skills and so they brought a tent and you oh, know man, that was signed so, them up like that was fresh right they gave them camping fresh. and then um, we had the drone science lab and then she brought some drones shouts out to her the young people could like make the drones themselves and then fly it themselves and then they were up there flying the drones. And then shout out to all our DJs. They were amazing. All of them. DJ Invisible, DJ Lowe's. Mm-hmm. And then um, some of our youth DJs were even up there as well. Mm-hmm. Like keeping it going. Like shouts out to them. They've been a part of it from the beginning. You know, just playing the Dilla music. And then just playing all types of music mm-hmm. so that everyone could have a great time. And that was really exciting. Um, we got lots of footage of that. And then um, shouts out also... To Granville T. Woods um, Society. So there's a gentleman. His name is David Head. Mm-hmm. He dresses like Granville T. Woods and does a whole Granville T. Woods exhibit. He has books available um, for young people. That's so, dope. Yeah, teach you about like black history, which is like super important. And then also I got to shout out Ally Media. and um, Shouts out. Yeah, and because uh, they lent us all the computers and some cameras and some iPads. That's amazing. So that we could have the different stations. They lent us all these, you know, iMac Pros and um, iPads and, 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 you know, Canon cameras with video cameras and still cameras. And I passed out the cameras 
to different community members, like to capture, you know, pictures and video for me so that we could have, you know, our own footage and everything because we don't have a budget and we can't afford, you know, documentate. We can't afford to pay like someone to do documentary stuff. So we asked the community to like step up and, um, you know, cover these different stations. And then I get the cameras back and I upload all the footage. And then, so there's that. And then, um, oh my goodness, you know what was really, really cool too? So yeah, so Tawana uh, is also with the Detroit Technology Initiative. Okay. And they're basically helping people understand about data and like what, how you can empower yourselves and your community, like using data. So they were there and, um, you know, just... Oh, it was just such a full, amazing experience. And then shouts out to all the performers. We had a contest. Um, you know, young people from around the city were able to perform. You know what I mean? And um, Isis, one of the young people who has been in the community forever, her dad, Baba Haru, was a part mm. of Spinning, who also had been a part of Dilla Youth Day, like from the beginning, like bringing all types of technology. His daughter was DJing in the show. Mm, that's mm. so dope. So incredible. Is so. he based out of the North End? There, they are. Okay, I think I met him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all based out of North End. And then, um, well, that initiative is based out of North End. Gotcha. Yep. And so, um, but his is based out of Ewalt Circle. Okay. But yeah, his daughter was DJing and then um, DJ Gia from Spin Inc., who's one of Stacey Hotwack's students, she DJed the show as well. And so we had two youth DJs doing their thing in the show. It was so incredible. Uh, and shouts out to Stacey Hotwack's hell. We're going to have to have Stacey on here. Legendary. Please. She's the legendary. She's the godmother of house. Mm. So Shouts out to you. Yeah. So legendary, legendary. She's been a part, she was teaching beat making. I mean, these are people, you know, DJ Jungle. These are people who give, everyone I'm speaking of gives selflessly of themselves to make sure that this happens so that young people can have access to this information so that there's a gateway, if you will, to education, a gateway to the arts as a career. Mm -hmm. So there were, and Samaritan Homes, they gave us like, I think a thousand, like, Free healthy lunches for kids. Yeah, I saw those. Those are like amazing. Fruit and vegetables mm-hmm. and stuff, and everybody was loving them. Shouts out. Oh my goodness. Baba Shamari, Nano Japo, African drum and dance. That was amazing. Aren't they incredible? Yeah, the kids. I mean, I it's like the adults were enjoying it just as much as the kids. That's what's so great about it. Yeah, these are all adults who just give and give and give, and, and they just love people. Oh, and shout out to um, LSO Dance. They did this incredible dance piece. Where the kids had on like all black and they had on these letters on the front of their t-shirts and then they danced to this like spiritual song that was just so incredible and moving and talked about police terrorism. Mm. And then at the end, they did this whole line where they swarmed out like bees and then they all came together and it spelled out our lives matter. Nice. And I was, I thought I was going to pass out. Everybody was like, well, and we ended the show with that. Like it was so wonderful. That's That's Nina Payne's genius. Um, We had... So many people from the community, you know, just, oh my God, we had the band called The Biz. Mm-hmm. These are Aisha's protégés, but they're also the, 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 the son and daughters of two of our community people. So Salim, who's in Mollywop, 
Okay. As a vocalist, they're his kids. Okay. And so that's their dad. He manages them. And then their mom, um, Tafira, is a part of the black farming movement. So, so, is, so is Salim. So they're both black farmers. And th- that's their kids. And um, their kids have a band called The Biz. And so Aisha, who's like the drummer of my band for the all-woman hip-hop band, and also she's the drummer for Molly Wop, she um, has been coaching them. You know, and well, definitely Bina and drumming. And so they were so good. They were so adorable. They were so, and all the kids were like so talented. Oh my God. The talent level was just so professional. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, we had this young lady from the School of the Arts. Mm -hmm. She sang her patootie off. (laughs) She was just beautiful, an incredible voice, great. She's only 15. Stage presence. Stage presence, but not just the stage presence, like her voice. Mm is like she needs to be touring with supervision but she needs to be touring like oh my god <laughs> these kids were just incredible so i'm just really excited um yeah so well, and I- i'm getting ramped up for women in hip-hop march 3rd it's gonna be crazy we got this mixtape that you you and mahogany are producing let's do it we're gonna have we're gonna show our film our short film we're going to have a talk Remember Kelly and Rebecca came here? Yes. So their book is currently going through a peer review. Okay. And so um, it's supposed to launch maybe, they're not sure, maybe fall or winter. Okay. And so I'm going to bring them on and have like a short conversation with me about their book and their work, which is about our work with women in hip hop. And then we'll have like a 90 minute concert with our all woman band and all our performers, and then we'll have a cipher afterwards, which is also a jam session. And then gotta get my bars ready. You gotta get your bars ready. And then after that, we're gonna have kind of like an afterglow reception. Okay. And that's gonna be in the rotunda. That's gonna be a little bit different than I've normally done. You guys are gonna get to see the grown up me. Uh, Nina's organizing that part, so it'll be extra grown up. And, um, it's going to have a DJ, I believe a liquor sponsor. Like I never do liquor. You guys know me. I don't even drink, but um, grown folks like to drink. Yes, so, they do. Um, they like to have. Thou shalt do everything in moderation, Piper. Thou, thou shalt do everything. It's only one hour, five to six. <laughs> so it's not like people going to be on turnt tilt. <laughs> you know, so we'll have a sponsor for that. So next week I'll have like way more details about that. But um, well, thanks for sharing only, that much. They're only 10 bucks. And people can, you know, go to the museum website. It's um, the right dot org forward slash events. The W R I G H T dot O R G forward slash events, and it's on their event calendar. You just choose women in hip hop event, you okay. know, and that'll be cool. So this is your time of the year. Oh, geez. Let's hope. Let's pray. Let's pray that it's time to make it rain. <laughs> <laughs> Just the, the blade pray. ice wood. Ah, the blade ice wood. Let's blade ice wood all over this jump. Get this money. Get this money. <laughs> and oh, speaking of which, shouts out to Cardi B. Cardi. Cardi B. Get yeah. it, get it, get it. So what you think about all that? About Cardi B? Mm-hmm. I'm very happy for her. I'm happy for her too. Listen, the Grammys... Is the epitome of like the industry cosign, the industry, like you've you you've done everything you're supposed to do in this industry. You win a Grammy, and she's done what she's supposed to do. I agree with her. She's winning records. 
She is topping these charts. She is making these collaborations with these larger artists doing stuff like she did with the Bruno Mars and various other artists. And I think she's done a great job of not getting too poppy. I mean, she's done the she's done the pop thing and remain herself. Exactly. And I mean, at the end of the day, her whole um, even the way she came out, she was on Love and Hip Hop like that's television. So the whole thing is industry. So it's, you know, for people to put Cardi B in a category like as if she was this underground artist that's like breaking away from who she is. Like she's always she came from the industry. She was born of the industry. And so I, I am happy that she is now receiving recognition for doing hard work mm. because just because you're in the industry doesn't mean it's going to go smooth for you. That's, so I, she's put in a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of work. And I feel that for, not that anyone else hasn't because everyone there is working very hard. I'm just happy that she's getting rewarded for her hard work. I'll put it that way. I think so too. Mm-hmm. I think the, I think the backlash is ignorant. I mean, and to be people just—it's uninformed, and um, and that's okay. I mean, you're for people to be upset with her because she won a best album. She should have won best album. You know, people were getting that album. The Grammys is just based on who's getting your your purchase and your product. I mean, that's it. I do believe in the whole the theory of illegal streaming but i don't think cardi was part of it <laughs> no i mean listen. i think i really legitly think like when i first heard that album i'm like this album is gonna run the summer listen, and it did cardi is a part of the machine now the machine has all these tactics <laughs> I got you. to make sure that records are number one yeah cardi is an artist She's not a producer. Mm. She's not a part of that part of the machine. Cardi shows up to her rehearsals. Cardi does her, you know, um, stays in shape through her personal trainer. Got you. Cardi goes and gets her makeup done and her hair done. Cardi posts on all her social media to keep people coming and keep people interested. Cardi does her antics to stay relevant. And then Cardi shows up to the studio and makes her music. She shows up to the video shoot to do the video. And then she does everything she's supposed to do to promote the song. So she's not a part of negotiating any deals. Right. She's not um, in any of the, you know, making decisions about what products she's going to be aligned with or not aligned with. Like she's not a part of any of that decision making tier. They might come to her and be like, Cardi. Here's um, 4,900 offers. Hmm. These are the 2,000 that we want you to take. These are the 30 that you're going to do this year. And then Cardi could probably say something like, um, I want to wear the blue wig. <laughs> you understand know what I'm saying? You're hilarious. But, but I'm with you. She's definitely not the one that's to like... To pointing the finger at she, and be like, you don't... Well, def- she's not going to tell you, you know, she's not in the rooms negotiating whether or not she does this commercial or that commercial or work with this brand or that brand. She might, on her Instagrams, have you believe that. But she has, there's a whole other team 
That's like Cardi is a brand and she's keeping a lot of people fed right now. And and all the people that she's feeding are in those rooms doing that negotiating. Yeah. So as an artist, she is especially as an industry artist, that structure, she doesn't do she doesn't make any of her decisions. Yeah. Cardi B ran 2018. It's not. It shouldn't be a surprise. That but she, she put in hard work. Let's oh, when I, yeah, she, she put in hard did. work. That's the only way you can run. She put in a hard year. work. She yeah. put in hard work. So let's give her that that you know that hard work trophy dun, dun, for putting in that work. You know what I'm saying? And give it to her team. Yeah, for her real. Her team put that work in. For real. You know she stayed relevant. She found a way to stay relevant. Drake is a little jelly. What Drake? He, right. You heard his speech. What'd he say? I heard some of it, I but mean, I already got cut off. That's all I heard. Yeah. And he was trying to go on, you know, because Young Money wasn't really doing nothing up at the <laughs> Grammys. I mean, just be honest, you know, Nikki tried to get a little salty because Young Money hasn't, you know, she had an album that nobody care. Right? So everybody's like, oh, it should have been Nikki. Who was no, checking no, no, for no, Nikki? No, 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 no. I mean, she had. She, I love Nikki, but she. she had, I mean, but she had a song and it was hot for what? About a week? Yeah. Okay. I love Nikki. I love both. She I wasn't love relevant. And I love Nikki, but How Nikki, long this was wasn't Nikki a Grammy. relevant in 2018. Maybe a week. She was, no. She was relevant, but it was through, honestly, through Cardi B. Wait. How long was Nicki Minaj relevant in 2018? I mean, Nicki. I'm a, claiming a week. I'm Ni- claiming one no. week. No. How long? And she was relevant the whole year. How? But How? I just said through Cardi. No, no. I'm talking about Nicki. I'm not talking about Cardi. I'm talking about Nicki Minaj. The, through the album, through that album she had. It, I'm it talking was about, about this week. project. It was it was a week. It oh, was about, one week. about two weeks. Possibly. Two weeks. It, two it, weeks it wasn't, stretching it. Nicki is still, she's one of those like. Nicki will come on to your, you know, brain if you think about women in hip hop because of her, what she's done. But if we're just talking about 2018 and we're talking about the work that got put into 2018, we're talking about the album, the record from 2018, that's one week. <laughs> no, come on now. We got to be we gotta be fair. I, I agree, though. Like, and don't take nothing I away agree. from her. It don't, don't take nothing I agree. away from her legacy. I agree. I'm just talking about 2018. She wasn't relevant. Well, mm-hmm. I didn't see her nowhere. I didn't see her in anything. No, no articles written about her. No one was checking for Nikki in 2018. No, I didn't. Was, um, Cardi B ran 2018. She did. Guy or girl. She did. 2018, hands down. I mean, and she, you know, every then the night Grammy show. showed it. Yeah, I agree. And Nikki Salty. Because she, she remembers the days when she was running things. <laughs> and she got to come out with some music. And so I challenge you, Nikki, come out with oh, that music. We about to, I'm about to play some Nikki Heat tonight. This is what I'm saying. Come out with that marketing. Because we're talking some industry stuff now, right? Yeah, we are. Come out with that marketing, Nikki. Let me see you market. Let me see you market what you got. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, Cardi, she marketed herself. She got to separate herself from Cardi. I mean, she's already separated Mm, from Cardi. She still got that little... What? That little... Okay, so she dropped these three records. She's just, she's dropping. She's gonna put up. She's about to put out another project. Okay. So she dropped out. She dropped uh three freestyles in one week, and all three of them are fire. Like I'm talking about. This like, is amazing. Listen, what I'm trying to tell you. We talking about the industry. No, no, no. Hear me. Who hear me, knows hear me. about these freestyles? Hear me. Hear me. Hear me. Where are they? They're amazing, Piper. They I'm got not, like listen, they got a listen. million views. They got a million views in five days. Listen to me. 
It don't matter about no million views and didn't no million people see it. <laughs> Trust me. No, no, no. But I'm, hear me out, hear me out, hear they me out. They buying them views. She still gotta she still gotta separate herself a little bit. The, the freestyles took her a step away from Cardi. And that's what people were praising her about with the freestyles. Like, look, this is what we need from you. Like when you don't sneak this Cardi, like your music sounds way better. Like, so that was one step, but I'm with you. I agree. You know, she just got to come with her marketing and do her thing. Well, it, I mean, she just has to, it's her marketing. I hear you. She needs to like, you know, make herself relevant. What's relevant about Nicki Minaj right now? Her man. I mean, right. So she's using this dude that she's dating. I mean, come on now. That's trite. We love no you, No one Nikki. cares about this guy. You know, the guy's annoying. No, I agree. I want that. All I care about from Nicki in 2019 is heat. Because I already know Cardi got to come with it. Cardi on fire. She's on fire, but down. let's be honest, the music is trash. Uh, yeah. I mean, no one cares about her music. People love Cardi. It's not like, don't pretend that you sitting here looking forward to her record and that you're going to pop Cardi's record in when you're driving down the street or well, money taking sound, a bath or something. Money sounds like Bodak Yellow. Uh, it just, I, I'm... I'm I'm good. I love Cardi, like you said, but her music, I listened to her album for about a week and when it first dropped and I loved it. Like I thought it was a great industry album. Her I think like you said, her team did a beautiful job in putting that album together. They knew what they were uh, they knew what they were what their goal was when recording that album and what they were looking for. And them getting a Grammy shows it. But to your point, I'm not about to be like, Oh man, I gotta pop that Cardi in. No one is. Let's just be honest. No one is listening to Cardi's music. But love Cardi B. Love her Damn. as a person. Love her personality. Love the whole antics of her. To me, the music is marketing for like her. For like her thing. You know, for like her look and her personality and her, mm, her comedy. I see what you're saying. You know, so I mean, I think people are just into Cardi because she keeps it real and she's funny and she's kind of gangster and she's kind of insecure and she shows us all this, her transparency. So people love that, right? Yeah. But I don't think anyone is really like loving Cardi's music. On the other hand, Nicki Minaj got some fire music, um, but she really needs to market, you know, herself a little bit better and just stop digging in the trash for her marketing. All her marketing, she got to dig in the trash, you know? And it's like, she got to get some therapy or something so that she can get some some, some butterflies and some animation and, you know, do some different things, branch out, have some different conversations with some different partners. Oh, yes, I agree. Get strategic. You know what I'm saying? Like, do some films. Do some music for some films or start doing some acting. She's a great actress. I think she's funny. I like Nikki. I like Nikki. She needs to be in a movie or something. She needs to be in some films. Mm. She needs to start. She needs to like level up. This new record. She you said know? she got $10 million for something she ain't do yet. <laughs> she's always talking. Okay. All right. So you got $10 million. What did you say? 10 or 20? She said 10. Okay. So you got $10 million. You know what I'm saying? Can you give... I don't know, a million to some families in Flint. Like, I don't, you know, do something that people care about. Do I, something I think, that matters. I do think that's what people are looking for at, from Nikki at You this know, point. do something that right. matters. You know, like, stop being like Mayweather and being so empty. Okay. And flashing all this nonsense. And then, be, you know, you're, did you see can that? I make, can I make Instagram? my Instagram? When he was in the middle of the, the the pool of money and draped, and he was just acting silly, draped in all I the did diamonds. Not see that. 
But can I tell you uh, what I did see? And I and really I, I don't want to segue. I don't know if you're ready to yeah, talk about yeah, this. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So, Floyd Mayweather, which I know I don't want to get too gossipy, but I'm trying to give the listeners a little bit of understanding, a little bit of his perspective. He doesn't like T.I. too much, I think, because of Tiny, T.I.'s wife. So, T.I., as you know, is promoting and pushing for black people to boycott Gucci. So today I see a video of Floyd Mayweather walking into Gucci and saying he's about to buy out the Gucci store. He doesn't care about the blackface and ain't nobody finna tell him what to wear and not what not to wear. And he ain't listening to nobody. Gucci ain't really hurt nobody. Everybody is racist, but he likes all people and accepts all people. So he finna go in the Gucci store and get what he want. He don't care. I know. I mean... Floyd Mayweather, I wouldn't doubt, is the type of human that would be at on the slave farm while people are escaping, pointing at people escaping. Massa, they trying to run, they trying to run, they trying to leave us. Us. This type of person, Floyd Mayweather, he's one of them, you know, one of them like, if mass is sick, we sick, we sick, boss. You know, nah. this is the type of person Floyd Mayweather is. And um, it's really sad because they give these types of people lots of money to say these types of messages. Like, and they just they just do such destruction. But like, I, mean, I feel we're in 2019, though. And I feel in 2019, there's a lot of quote-unquote woke people that just see through that. I mean, at the end of the day, I I had to say the T.I. part because it's like, I guess that was his way of saying he's not about to be under anything that T.I. is starting. But it's like, you still are using that same energy by saying you're about to go in a Gucci store and buy it out. You're basically going against T.I., but you're still doing something based off of T.I. So you might as well boycott versus going in a Gucci store and buying Gucci. And I have to ask you, mm-hmm. do you think that that was, first of all, for our listeners, which most of them know by now that you are a world-renowned photographer, that mm-hmm. you've done a lot of work, you've been in a lot of rooms, high mm-hmm. fashion, with high fashion. Mm-hmm. Can you give us some insight on how these people think? Is it was it a mistake? How what is the process of Gucci? Gucci. Oh what is the God. process of stuff getting so, cleared? Actually, and- we like the photographers that I've worked for, um, I've done a lot of Gucci campaigns. Um, and so I'm saying that to say that long story short, in any um corporate you know, anything, um, nothing is like happenstance. Do you know what I'm saying? Wherever millions of, uh, of dollars are, you know, being, uh, organized or made, you know, there, there's just no like random, um, you know, like, Oh, let's just wing it and fling it. That's one, that's one thing. Just keep that, put a pin in that. All right. The Gucci legacy is long. I mean, we're talking long bread. So this is a family that 
see, the, 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 the original design houses are these families. And so this is like really long, 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 long money that um, when, you know, we're talking about like exploitation is a nice way of putting it. Um, these are organizations and companies that are responsible for lots of human trafficking. They, they use models as mules. They, um, you know, we're talking about the height of pedophilia. You know, the fashion industry in and of itself is a mechanism for um, using models as mules. Using, um, you know, uh, we talk about R. Kelly. You know, the pedophilia is, is, is ingrained within the fashion industry. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason that models are um, scouted when they're like 12 gotcha. and they become superstars when they're between the age of 14 to 16. If a model hasn't quote unquote, like made it by the time she's 18, she's considered old. They consider 19 year old girls old. If they are, you know, uh, if they're not like super slim and emaciated, they call them fat. If they're like a normal size, they call them fat. Um, they constantly make these girls feel insecure. It's an industry based on your phenotype and the way you look, your physicality. You have castings, especially in Europe, that, that will say NB, no black. Um, I'm like going through being the first African-American woman to shoot for all these different fashion magazines and even to assist traveling the world, you know, with these different people. I got a chance to see up close and personal human trafficking. I got a chance to see and I'm not talking about like this one time. I'm talking about like that was the industry full of human trafficking. And then when you go into these places, we're treated with carte blanche because we're shooting for all these high-end fashion magazines and fashion companies. And, you know, our, you know, quote-unquote crew, we got the money. So I was used to being, like, the only black person traveling with all these Europeans. Um, and it's interesting because every country we would go to with brown people, people would think I'm from that country. So they would kind of use me to, like, be like a catalyst for them to like be cool with the natives, if you will. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've literally seen it all. Um, and so that's like a lot of the debauchery that I had seen. I've experienced a lot of, um, you know, me too type stuff. That's mm -hmm. freaking terrible. And, you know, people would ask me like, why, why, why? But it was because I really wanted to, do like make a shift, you know? And when I first got into the industry, you know, I worked for a photographer, high end, really famous guy, really uh, powerful dude in the industry, decision maker. And um, they wouldn't even hire black models. And the portfolios would come and I'm talking like famous people. And I would literally take all the black portfolios and I'm talking about people like Tyra Banks and Tyson Beckford and Naomi Campbell. I would take 
the and they, this is when they're they're famous. Okay, so this isn't like oh mm-hmm. when they first started, right? So they would be like, oh, we don't want this, or you know, they would say things like, you know, black people are ugly or black women are ugly, or we don't want those people wearing our clothes. Like all these designers would say they don't want these, you know, baboons wearing our clothes. We don't want these monkeys wearing our clothes. That these women were ugly. That they don't like this. I mean. And this is normal, open conversation. Because see, in the fashion industry, there's no unions. See, in the movie industry, you got unions. In the, mm. in the theater industry, you got unions. In the fashion industry, there's no unions. So people treat people however they want to treat people. And all the, the, the money is like so abundant that everyone's complicit. So like a lot of the young girls, you know, they would not be in school, they'd be, they'd be little girls. They weren't in school. So they were like traveling. You understand what I'm saying? And they're like, they're like, they're like traveling the world. They're famous little girls, but they're six feet tall and they're like 14, 15 or 16 years old. And they, they, they'd be getting, you know, do, there's like this online school they go to international online school. So the work is so menial they wouldn't even be getting a decent education. Now, mind you, traveling is an education. And the girls are mm-hmm. very um, mature because they're trained by their agencies to look mature and act mature. So their agencies are like making them go on dates with like 35-year-old Wall Street guys or like 40-year-old like, you know, people you know business people from you know uh, eastern europe or you know the arab emeritus or so they're used to you know being treated as women you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and it's literally i want to say partially legal prostitution or like a legal escort service so the agencies wouldn't have enough jobs for all the girls like paying gigs so they would what they do is, you know, people from all over the world send their children to New York City to become models. A lot of them are escaping their war-torn situations of their countries. There was a time when many of them were coming from Eastern Europe, but all over. So parents would send their kids, like 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14, 15, 16-year-old kids, 17, you know, go live at the agency. They sign a contract. They give the kid to the agency. Now they live in the model house. Well, when the kids are in the model house, they've got to like earn a living. So they'll tell them that they've been trying to shop them and they're struggling to get them, you know, work and that, you know, clients are trying to understand their look and mm-hmm. things like that. So what they do is they literally will like shop them overseas to be with these different men and, they would be in Europe for X amount of time. They'd be going to castings and go-sees and things like that, but they'd also have to go to these dinners and these dinner parties and escort these men to these dinner parties. I have talked to lots of models who told me what happens in Europe to them, and it's not pretty. What happens to them in New York City, and it's not pretty. And if they don't want to play along then they won't have a modeling career. Now, that's just like for all the models in general. Not to mention that there's like a look that they're looking for. They always want 
blonde hair, blue eye, very pale skin models. Um, when you're brown or black, it doesn't matter, right? It could be a person that has one phenotype. So let's say like a very dark skin, short haired, you know, um, or kinky haired, you know, wide nose, thick lip person, and then like a lighter brown, thinner nose, thinner lip, you know, curlier hair person. And they could both go in to try to get with the agency. And if they're, and if either one of them, if they've already got one black girl, they'll tell them I've already got a black girl. Then they'll say, well, you don't have anybody with my look. They'll be like, but I have a black girl. Like I'm good. I don't need any more black girls. I've already got one. So that type of energy where everywhere the girls are going, you know, people are telling them I'm, I'm already got one. It creates a level of competition. So amongst the black girls, um, there's lots of competition because they're struggling to be that one black girl, you know, that's at that agency. So not only that, a lot of the agencies would do like they do these rappers and these record labels. So they'll get a whole bunch of girls. They might get like a whole bunch of black girls, right? Then they'll be on the roster, but then they shelf them. So they're not getting jobs per se. They send them to Europe. And they prostitute them out in Europe. Now, they don't talk about this or they don't promote this. They say that they're going to Europe to like work on their portfolio, which they send them to casting as Ngozi's, but it's like this whole internal language where they're never getting hired. So the girls just go there and they end up having to go on all these dates with all these like Eastern European men that are abusing them. And then, you know, they then become these really bitter, angry, you know, women who don't have these modeling careers and who end up, you know, um, becoming like um, career waitresses or going into sales or marketing or just something, you know, where they can use, where their looks are, you know, valuable in that industry. Um, It creates a lot of, you know, trauma and bitter people. Um, And it's not just the women, it's men too. Mm. There are, I mean, I could tell you horror story after horror story after horror story that I've heard from all these models. Um, I've seen the agents. The agents keep the kids on drugs. So their first time coming into contact with drugs will be from the agents. So people are always saying like, oh, it's so tragic that all these models are doing all these drugs. But their agents introduce them to the drug culture and drugs and probably are the first ones to give them drugs. A lot of times um, you'll be at the club and you'll see this kid. It's a model. They're at the club, high, drunk, you know, um, they're with their agent. And you're like, what are you doing here? Like, you shouldn't even be here. You're a kid. It's like, I'm with my agent. I'm with my agent, but, but, but I'm six feet tall. So people are not looking at me like I'm a kid. You know, but clearly if you have a conversation with them, they're definitely they're a, a child. They're not having... They seem like they can have adult conversation because they te- they feed them things to say. So they literally train them in how to speak and how to do everything. So you could watch this transformation, you know, of this giggly person. So that's why you'll see a lot of the models are not goofy, giggly teenagers like regular teenagers. Um, 
you know, they're very serious. They drink coffee, smoke cigarettes, drink wine. They go to art gallery openings. You know, they 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 watch documentary films and foreign films. And don't get me wrong, because when I was a kid, I did all those things. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're with you're my mom. A, you're giving a too. huge imagery, Piper. Mm-hmm. I did all those things with my mom too. So, you know, um, I had a hippie mom. So, but. I guess it was different in a sense that, like, my mom was out there selling me mm-hmm. to people, thank God, and like a lot of these parents do. But, yeah, a lot of the parents, you know, they're in dire situations. They got four, five, six, seven, eight kids. They tell one kid, listen, you got to take one for the team. You got to go get us this money. So they give the kid to the agent. The agent takes the kid to wherever, New York or or Europe, Paris. And it's usually New York or Paris. And then... They start shopping them. They get some headshots on them. They get some body shots on them. And then they start telling them, hey, so now they got this kid. This kid's in a model agency. They live at the model house. Now they start stacking up on bills because they'll tell them, hey, you've been at the model agency for this amount of time. You always for a rent. You always for this. You always for that. They're like, oh, well, you're my agent. You're supposed to be out there getting me work. You're supposed to be working for me. And the agent's like, I'm having a hard time selling you. You can't leave the agency because you didn't sign a contract. So they'll get you. They'll punish you. If you leave, like if you, like if your agency, if you're with agency A and they're not getting you any work and you've been with them and you've been trying and, and you're getting disgruntled. If you try to go to agency B, they all got this little agreement that if they leave me and come to you, you don't take them. So they'll literally be going from agency to agency to agency, not even realizing that they've all got the phone call to blackball them. So they're stuck, signed to this contract to try to model. And, but at the same time, the agency is not getting them any work. And the agency is telling them stuff like, you're too ugly, you're too fat, you're too old. You know, you got to keep working on your look. You got to go to the gym. You got to get this skin thing. You got to go get this surgery. You got to go to Europe to go do this. And then it's like so many things until it's like it bogs down in the brain. It's like mind control. And then, you know, but their bills are stacking up. And then they'll tell them, look, if you don't pay us this money, you know, we're going to do whatever threatening thing. And then they'll be like, well, I don't have the money because you're not giving me jobs. And then it just becomes this thing, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to get this money? And they back them into the corner. And that's when they say, well, you need to go to Europe. And they get them with these dudes and they go to these little orgy parties where they get like gang raped or whatever. And they go through all this kind of craziness to like, quote unquote, like pay off their debts. And this is like so normalized within the industry. And like, it's something that like, it's kind of one of those known knowns where like everybody knows, but it's like if you speak on it, then like you'll be blackballed or like so everyone's afraid to talk about it. So literally when you go through the industry trying to talk about this stuff, everyone goes like you, they, they paint you as like a liar or crazy or you know what you're talking about or you're, you know, on drugs or something like that, you know. So I'm saying all that to say to set the tone is like this is this is what we're this is the industry standards that I'm talking about. This is the way the industry is. So, you know, I've been on many meetings, you know, we've done lots of Gucci campaigns with the people I've worked with. And um, yeah, they choose when they want to have black models and when they don't. Yeah. I was looking at their website. I saw one. 
yeah, they choose the all these companies choose when they want to have a black black model when they don't. Right. Um, they have open conversations where they, you know, where they openly say they don't want black people wearing their clothes, where they openly say they don't want to have um, black models this season because it's out of style. You know, this is like open conversation. I mean, even for the longest, South Africa has been trying to get a Vogue. There's no African Vogue. Not one African Vogue exists. Cone Nast, who's the publisher, won't do an African Vogue. Anna Winter herself said as long as she's there as editor-in-chief, there will never be any African Vogue. <laughs> there was once almost a South African Vogue to the point where they, they started making like fake South African Vogues. So if you go online, you'll see these like South African Vogues, but they're fake. It's not real. It's just people got fed up like, look, you can make it. You can make it. So they've been trying to be, you know, the South African Vogue for like 20 plus years. And Cone Nast is like, we won't co-sign it. So I want to say what, about like 10 years ago, they came out with this Italian Black Vogue, which really pissed me off because like all the Black folks, like all the Black editors and designers and stylists and models... Italian Vogue, when black started becoming popular, probably about 10 years ago, Italian Vogue decided that they were going to do a black issue, right? And I knew back then I said it. I wish I could find all my posts because everybody kept saying that it was a new day. It was a new thing. It was so incredible how amazing it was. And I was like, this is a one shot deal to get you guys to like shut up. And so they made this one Vogue called Black Vogue. It was a one issue. It came through Italian Vogue. And they have never done a follow-up issue. They've never done another one. They've never even tried to like incorporate more Black people. I mean, it was literally an answer to, you know, folks asking for an African Vogue. And it was like, yeah. You'll never get an African vote, but 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 Italy will get the credit because Italy low key loves black people. There's like an Italian cultural fetish with black women in particular um, in Italy and in France as well. They're very very fascinated with black women. Um, fetishy is a sexual fetish. Mm. I'm speaking of that, having been to Italy maybe a hundred times myself, been to Paris maybe 150 times myself. From being in the fashion industry, those are two countries that you go to. Like, I was literally probably in Europe, mo like most of my twenties and you know twenties and thirties, uh, doing fashion photography because that's where most of high end stuff is done um, between New York. Paris and Italy. So Got you. I was in all those like constantly. And so, yeah, Italy, huge, huge cultural like fetish with like the sexuality of black, of the black body, black men and black women. It's like, you know, I would be traveling, we'd be on the plane, you know, photographer, you know, you're trying to convince the photographer to utilize a black model for these campaigns so these girls can, 
you know, make money, get paid, get some legitimate jobs. They're telling you that these women are ugly. You know, they're telling you in the meetings that these women are ugly, that, you know, no. Meanwhile, you're on the plane and they're completely lusting after black women, like wanting to have sex with black women and black guys. I remember um, going into um, this country uh, called Mauritius with the photographer. Exactly having this conversation, wanted this one model, uh, we wanted to do, uh, I wanted her for this um, story we were doing for L'Officiel. Well, L'Officiel is a French fashion magazine. I wanted her for L'Officiel and I also wanted her for some Estee Lauder stuff. Estee Lauder is a French um you're too cool, right? Beauty company, <laughs> you know. So I'm pushing for her to like get both of those because we're gonna be between Paris and Mauritius for a while, and you know we're gonna be on the beach and all that in Mauritius. And so I wanted to get you know do these shoot shoot her for these campaigns. So you know I draw out the ideas and everything, and I'm showing you know her beautiful brown skin with the white sand and the blue sky and the blue water and, you know, the like a yellow towel and like, you know, just showing them like the color schemes and all that gold and everything. And they're loving it. And we go to the meeting and the um, editor's like, I love it. I love it. I love it. Only thing I just want to have not a, not a black woman's because don't you think it's very, you know, obvious. It's too obvious to have a black woman's for summer with 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 this clothing because it was like swimsuit. Don't you think it's obvious? I think it will be more, you know, provocative, <laughs> more interesting to have like a white woman's with a brown skin. I say, you mean like blackface? <laughs> and she's like. No, not 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 a black face, not a black face, like a like a bronze, like a bronzer, like a bronzing, Hyper. like a bronzing cream for the skin, and I think it will be very beautiful to have like this kind of white woman's be so less obvious, you know. It's like a white woman's with a bronze skin. I was like. That's terrible. I was like, that's not a good idea. <laughs> that's not a good idea. Listen, so many times in the industry, I have pushed forth to have black women and black guys. And so many times, so many times in, in these magazines, in these skincare companies, in these beauty companies, in these fashion companies, in, I mean, from high end to low end, mostly high-end, they don't want a black body. They don't want black features. They want the white woman with the bronzer. And they're putting bronzer on her skin. Bronzer with a white woman with blonde cornrows, okay, in Africa. They're putting... You know, when they do have black women, like I said, a lot of time it's fetishized or they try to do all this like, you know, they'll be like jungle woman, 
running with the cheetahs in Africa. You know, this kind of like thing. You get what I'm saying? I do get what you're saying. So, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Not to derail you because this is no, it's all good. amazing. Oh, it's all good. Whew. Okay. So, would you say that Italy, especially when we break, go way, way back in the time, talking about the Moors, is well aware of race? Of course. Just as much as America. Of course. Okay. I'm they listen- know, you know, come on now. They. In Italy, you have the different cultures in Italy. You got Northern Italy, which is more like your, your Nordic, you know, well, well, they were more, because Italy is, 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 is one of those countries that um, was part, like the center, right? It was a centralized government for Europe. And so, um, you know, it's one of the seats of culture for, you know, Europeans. And so, you know, you had Greece and you had Italy. And so, you know, you know Rome, the Romans. And so, um, all over Italy, there's a consciousness about the way different Italians look, depending on which part of Italy you go to. Mm. And you can see it because you'll see, the like I said, the more blonde hair, blue eye, Northern. Italians and North, Northern Italy. And also, too, you'll see a lot of people um, that are, um, you know, what's the word I'm trying to say? Attached to, to these hierarchical feelings about themselves <laughs> uh, based on their phenotypes, right? So there is an air when you go to Northern Italy, that's different about these blonde-haired, blue-eyed Italians between Italians, between them and the darker Italians, mm-hmm. right? There's a sense, like how we have with light skin and dark skin, black people, like they have that. Because they know what's up. The Northern, the Northern Italians know why they have those darker features. Yeah, everyone knows. Everyone knows. And so there's that. So... As you go more to central Italy, I'm going to say that's more like the what you would call Latin look, where it's like olive skin, you know, brown, curly hair type of look. As you go more to southern Italy, their skin gets darker and their hair gets a little kinkier and the booties get a little thicker. And you go to what we lovingly know as the mafia, which are from uh, the most, they're actually from Naples, Napoli, which is, is the south of Italy. Very uh, rural sort of uh, country, you know, sort of town-like. Um, a lot of folks. I went to the pizzeria off Eat, Love, and Pray. Mm-hmm. And they looked at us like, what the F are you doing? Well, here? because they don't really see American blacks. They, I had the same issue. They don't but see American blacks. The other thing I want to They see digress- Africans. They see a lot of Africans in Italy. But Naples, out of the, out of the, I went to Venice, Rome, and Naples. Mm-hmm. Rome was Rome. 
uh, didn't get that many stairs because it's so touristy. Mm-hmm. Venice was beautiful. Everybody's in their own world and loving mm-hmm. the water that they don't have any time to really show you their racism. But mm-hmm. Naples definitely felt it the most. Mm-hmm. Um, out of like I would say like as far as like getting stares and being looked at like I, they 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 weren't used to seeing. They're not know. used to seeing American, but I got the same thing. But so you've got Sicily, right? You got Sardinia. You got Capri, you got Napoli, right? So, like, there's all these different cultures that are in Italy. Um, if you notice, if when you go to the like a Sardinia, mm-hmm. the accent is different. Mm. It's a totally different accent. It's okay. a little different dialect. It's a different island. Their scene is different. The Italians look at them as lower, like they don't mess with them. They're like servant class. <laughs> um, you'll see, you know, they're rough and tough. Like they'll remind you of, you know, black Americans, like kind of thugged out. Same thing in Napoli, in Naples. I mean, so I'm saying that to say that like in, in Italy. I'm with you. You know, um, yes. Even in, amongst their own kind, they, they separate by skin tone. Based on the Moors. Gotcha. Based on the Moors. So that's where that's all coming from. So they even have jokes about it. They joke with one another. And while, you know, we all love jokes, these aren't funny jokes because they actually oppress people. Would you say that Italy is not as even as mature as America when dealing with race? You know, racism is racism. Understood. Italy and France are also very fascist. Uh, a lot of Nazis and right wing mm-hmm. are based in Italy and France. I remember traveling a lot. I would travel in the fashion industry, and that's how I learned that a lot of these moguls and companies and things are super fascist. They would say terrible things about Jews. They would say harmful and hurtful things about Jews and make jokes about gassing Jews and make jokes about murdering Jews. And I remember I asked one of the photographers, I said, I thought that everybody hated black people the most. And because um, one day we were going through the airport and there were some um, Jewish people in front of us. Well, they were obviously Jewish because they were Hasidic Jews. Got you. And they were in front of us and... When they like were going through, you know, the security, the photographer turned to me. He's like, I'm so glad you're not Jewish. And I was like, what? Like, it shocked me. And I and I remember telling him, I was like, I thought black people were the most hated on this <laughs> earth. He was like, oh, no. He's like, I much prefer a black over a Jew. I was like, wow. And I just thought that was like some deep. Yeah stuff and then at the same time I thought like wow that's crazy you know um but yeah like honestly there's when after um they had the Nuremberg trials and everything and um they gave um Israel to um the to to uh, to be the Jewish state. Um, 
a lot of the Nazis fled to Italy and France. So you've had these, um, you know, all these not these these elder like Nazis living in you know exile in Italy and France like ever since the end of World War Two. Mm. So that's where a lot of them went to to escape being um, jailed or being murdered. And so they hid, they hid underground. And while they were there, you know, um, not just them, but they were, you know, given protection and exile and things like that. And so that's why when you go there, you'll see the Nazi movement is super strong in Italy and in France. It never died. Like, I remember I would travel there a lot and I, you would just see Nazis just like out chilling everywhere. Italy and France, Nazi, neo-Nazi, you know, and you'd be like, wow, you know what I mean? Like, this is just normal here. Um, and so with that, there, those lineages are linked to people like the Gucci's. I've read. They're linked to, to these people. And so I, I'm saying that to say that People, you know, black people, for so many years, my industry friends, my music industry friends, they all would be like, oh, Pipe, you, you know, you could get Gucci, you could get Louis, you could get this, you could get that. And people never would understand when I would tell them that I would never wear Gucci, that I would never wear Louis Vuitton, that I would never support any of those designers. I used to tell them about the Nazism. I used to tell them about the fascism. I used to tell them about the white supremacy. I used to tell them about the molestation. I used to tell them about the human trafficking. I have a whole magazine that I made called thestudioarena.com that's going to launch in September. Shout out! Dedicated to sustainable fashion for women of color explicitly because of my experiences in the fashion industry and watching human trafficking and watching racism and watching the people who make our clothes be erased and watching um, us being diminished in meetings and people saying things that black people are ugly or black women are ugly or they don't want these people wearing my clothes and those people wearing my clothes. Why? And then not, on top of all of that, Hiring people in these factories, paying eight-year-old girls, you know, below poverty wages, the stuff that they have to endure, you know, the chemicals, the toxins, you know, the processes, the, the, the conditions in the factories, just, you know, how much water is being used, just the dehumanization. So just all of that. I have a whole magazine that's dedicated to even talking about how to do this all differently. Piper, mm. that is so deep. So before we enter this, I want to I take it to another part of this conversation about the whole, you know, the Gucci blackface. So you've also done a lot of work in hip hop. Mm-hmm. With your expertise in the high fashion world and the hip hop world, and spending all that time in Italy, mm-hmm. wouldn't you say that high fashion, and that's why Kanye, I guess, would be so passionate about it? Is it's it's art. It is it is it's it's art. Everything it's, is it's, art. Let's let's just well well hear me out. Okay. Hear me out. Everything. I mean, everything is art. 
it is considered like having a 70-year-old age glass of wine or whiskey. It's very delicate. They take they they put a lot of character and time invested into high fashion. Listen. Marketing. But let's just understand something. Okay. The only reason that something's valuable is because someone tells you it's valuable. Understood. If you take a Gucci, a a $12,000 Gucci sweater, okay, and you line the bottom of your dog's cage (laughs) with that, what do you think is going to happen? How valuable is that sweater about to be? It's not valuable. Okay. So this is all I'm saying. All right. So the other... The value is what you say it is. Okay. That's it. On anything. But do Italians put a high value on these designers? Listen... I just explained to you about that these are Nazis. Understood. All right. Okay. The Nazi philosophy is based on the hierarchical structure of your Uh, phenotype. It's based on the hierarchical structure of your phenotype. I'm with you. The Nazis has scientists that would tell you that a black man descended from the orangutan. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is this is their quote unquote scientists telling you this crap, mm-hmm. saying that black people descended from orangutan. Okay, this is what they teaching people. So there can be no truth or value in anything they say. Flat out. All right, I'll leave that there. So you create your value. That's why people hate hip hop. So because hip hop, gave voices for people who have been thrown away to assign themselves value the hip-hop artists were the first ones to tell you i'm the king of rock there is none higher sucker mcs shall call me sire (laughs) right like hip-hop was the first ones to tell you how valuable they are right whether they believed it or not and so that was really was the threat of hip hop. So has hip hop you know? put too much of an emphasis on the high fashion world? I'm not going to necessarily blame hip hop. I'm, I'm saying hip hop is a space where that narrative lives and is heightened. However, America is a capitalist institution. <laughs> and so capitalism is taught in America. This is the place where they teach you about the American dream that if you quote unquote work hard, that you're going to have these material things and that that's what life's about. That's American values rooted in materialism. Mm. So obviously anybody that's from America that, you know, is, is going to be speaking from American perspective is going to be speaking from this value of capitalist, you know, um, exploitation as being the height of, you know, success. And, you know, because people view success as having things, um, then obviously if you want to have more success, then you have to have more expensive things and you have to have more things. And so, yeah, like, you know, when people 
measure success you know they're they're asking you like you know who's your father who's your family what school did you go to what neighborhood do you live in you know what kind of car do you drive so now black people and africans in general we we like looking good ain't nothing wrong with that you know we like looking good like we like bright colors in general and i'm generalizing right now yeah Culturally, we like we like bright colors, right? And we like nice things. Now, mind you, um, people do, you know, because black people in general have been the most downtrodden people, we did turn to this capitalism to give us self-worth and self-value. I hear you. So if people, you know, are getting brutalized by police, People telling us we're not worthy. They're telling us that we have kinky hair and that's terrible. They're telling us we have dark skin and that's terrible. They're telling us that our wide noses and our thick lips are terrible. They tell us that our thick butts are, you know, terrible. They tell us that our thick bodies and our body sizes are terrible. They tell us that our brains don't have capacity. You know, mind you, we created everything that people use on this earth. You know, we're inventors, we're scientists, we're scholars, you know, we're creative folks and we're geniuses, but we still get brutalized by society. We still get brutalized by police. We still don't get hired. We still have to do 10 times more work. We still get paid less. We still constantly getting sexually violated, sexually abused, sexually assaulted. We still, you know, it's just constant brutalization so the thing that makes people feel closer to their humanity is to be able to say look at me i got on these diamonds and i actually paid for them which is a whole nother conversation about value and worth and deserve and earning where we're taught these values that you have to earn this and you have to earn that and you deserve this, you deserve that, which the converse of that is what? That people didn't earn it and that people don't deserve it, right? That's the, that's the, that's the subtext yes. of that, okay? And so with the subtext of that, let's look at who in society do people say don't deserve and didn't earn, okay? So if we look at that, then that's where, you know, people that are dealing in decadence get to say a sense of pride. Like I've earned this and I can afford to pay top dollar for this. That's the black consciousness right there. I can afford to live in this neighborhood. So I'm worth something because I actually went to school. Like I got my degree, like I paid for this, like out of my money, it was my, you know, talent. And people love to, to say that it's their talent. But there are studies that have been done, okay, around these things that show that black people, all right, are, well, let me not say that. There are studies that show that black people who have been put into positions of power have been put there for a reason not because of their talent. Although a lot of black people would like to say that they're there because of their talent. 
Okay? A lot of gatekeepers are put into positions to be gatekeepers because they are seen because they do psychological profiles on people before they hire them for these corporations. And they know that those are specifically the types of black people that are going to get in that position and are not going to allow the next black person to come up. Okay. And I'm saying that to say that man, that's real, that black people need to value what their history, what our history is and our legacies are and see that the only real value is the value that we create. If we say something's valuable, then it's valuable. Flat out. If you go to any of these studies that they do, they do these surveys and they do these studies and they do all this stuff to see, you know, about consumer habits and purchasing behaviors and all this kind of testing stuff, right? Something does not become valuable in society unless black people say it's valuable. This is studies. This is scientific consumer studies that have been done, okay, that the federal government has paid money for. So I'm saying that to say that we're putting value in all these companies. We're looking at these companies and telling them, hey, we're spending all our money and and you won't treat us with dignity. Meanwhile, they have no respect for you. They're never going to treat you with dignity. And it doesn't matter you know, uh, it's from the core. So the thing that we need to do is we need to start valuing the, the, the businesses, the systems, the people that we already have and help them to have more value. Yes. Because we have bomb designers. We have designers that, you know, the stitching quality is incredible. The material choice you know is uh exquisite you understand what i'm saying it's gonna last a lifetime color choice technique all that stuff's in place if we don't value our own designers if we don't value our own makers if we don't value our own artisans who's gonna value who we are we're gonna keep going to the oppressor we're gonna keep going to nazis we're gonna keep going to people who hate us who don't want us to wear their clothes who don't even deal with us when we purchase their stuff piper i'm not cutting you off i'm listening i honestly feel like gucci went out of their way in the midst of all of what's going on in our society to release that sweater no i'm gonna tell you what happened they are so removed from caring They are so removed from even having to care about what's going on in society. There's a difference. Okay. So they don't need to, nowhere at Gucci is anyone even aware of Black Lives Matter. They probably don't even know about the slogan or the campaign. (laughs) You think I'm kidding? They probably don't even know that exists. Probably somebody took that meme and sent it to them and they were there like, what is happening? I don't even know what's going on. Okay. This is how far removed from society. These families are removed. I'm telling you, they live in castles in Italy. They don't get around quote unquote normal people. They're pretty much like royalty. They're only around their own kind. 
Okay, they travel on their private jets. They go to their summer homes. They don't have to see so-called regular people ever. So you don't think they see rappers draped in Gucci bandanas, Gucci bags, Gucci everything? They they see the rappers that are in their scope. Okay. And the rappers that are in their scope are wearing this stuff. So they don't care. They don't care. That's the part that we need to understand is these white supremacist, Nazi, right wing fascists don't care about us. I agree. At all. Not even to a point to say, I hate you. Not even to a point to acknowledge your existence. So, you know, what do we want? We want an apology from Gucci. I don't need one. You know, what, 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 like, you know, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is stop wearing Gucci. Stop wearing Gucci. Why would you wear it? Why would you wear it? And, and it's because people think that Gucci is the top designer and that it gives them some self, a sense, sense of self-worth to say, look at me. I can afford Gucci. Well, if you can afford Gucci, then... Take your butt over there to Morocco or Egypt or Nigeria or shoot, Harlem. Okay? Brooklyn. Um, how about Tracy Reese from Detroit? Shout out. Okay. And then and support black designers who do care about you, who do have that level of quality. Who said this is I'm making this because of you. And I want to make a great product. They make a great product. Mm. Right? Because at the end of the day, black people will say, well, I got to be, you know, I'm valuable. So I got to buy something that's going to, you know, drape my body in something, you know, <laughs> that's, you know, my skin. I need this against my skin. I need leather against my skin. You know, so, I mean, there are, where's that article? I'm about to pull that article up. There was an article that shouts out to you and also the brother Terrence Muhammad. Um, there's one that you sent. It's called 18 Black Modern Fashion Designers You Should Know About. There's another one um, that you sent me and um, the uh, brother Terrence had um, 10 black owned brands to know mm. and brother terrence posted one um top 10 black luxury designers that you should know about i think that one was in essence magazine so if we look at i mean there are a plethora oh my God, Piper. of designers there are so 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 many i mean listen there's no reason to support these Nazis. I'm be honest with you. Now, y'all can continue to support Gucci, you know, Fendi, Trusardi, Valentino. I mean, the list goes on. But I'm telling you right now, I've been in the rooms trying to convince people and having not just the designers, people, you know, that spokespeople, but the people at the ad agencies, the people in the magazines, the fashion editors, you know, just to telling me that they don't want, quote unquote, these people wearing their clothes. 
that they that they that quote unquote these people look dirty and they don't want to have a dirty look. That quote unquote these people are going to bring it down. I remember having a whole conversation with <sighs> one of the editors so about having more black people, more black women on the covers. And she told me that every time you have a black woman on the cover, the sales go down. And that every time she has a black woman on the cover, she gets letters from all these women telling them that they don't want to have these monkeys and these type of women on their magazines. Uh, uh, Piper, I don't understand. I, I, How could you not understand? This is, I'm saying I'm, I, this is the system. <laughs> this is the system that we're in. This is what we live in. Piper. This is the white supremacist system. At, at this point, at this point. But this is their got, magazine. This, you got a sweater that has pink lips. They purposely put it on a white this model. This is their... And Floyd Mayweather says he does not care about what anyone says. Don't listen to Floyd Mayweather. Please. Floyd Mayweather is, unfortunately, being used. Floyd Mayweather is a tool. Floyd Mayweather is completely empty and hollow, and it shows. And you can't listen to Floyd Mayweather. I, I mean, I'm just, there's not. I mean, I wouldn't even be outraged. We're talking about, you know, a I get person it. that is, you know, this is he's a he's a he's a a part of the system. Like Understood. you have to have these types of people in your system in order for it to work. Understood, but it, and you know, down the path you were going down. It's it's a beautiful Black History Month mm-hmm. because we are in the age of awareness, and we have tools that allow us to just cl- click in Black fashion designers. Yeah, Black fa- Black luxury designers, Black luxury fashion designers. I mean, listen, honestly, at this point. For me personally, for years, like every, when I, even we were doing Gucci campaigns, I never wanted Gucci. Man, my friends used to be all about Gucci and all that. I was like, I'll never wear that crap. They used to be like, oh, you're going to be there? Get me this. Get me that. And I used to be like, I'm not getting you nothing because I don't want you wearing that stuff. And don't wear that stuff with me. I mean, I never supported any of these designers. That's why I have my magazine. I created my magazine to show people about the business and to offer alternatives so that people know there are some alternatives. Because it's not just about, we have to get out of this consumerist, consumerist, consumerist thing too. That just like buying stuff is going to make life better. We've only got one planet. We have to stop consuming so much. We got to stop consuming so much water and so much resources. And it costs a lot of water to make clothing. Mm. And you look at all these chemicals and these dyes and these things. I mean, you know, that's why, you know, we're looking at processes like vegetable dyes and we're looking at all these different processes. And not only that, looking to, you know, um, vintage and upcycling and recycling. But if you're going to buy new, like, let's look at some of these tribes in, in, in various countries where women have cooperatives and collectives and where, you know, partnerships and, you know, you purchasing those well-made handcrafted long-lasting items is not only going to have you looking fly and beautiful and unique but you're also supporting 
a tribe, a family, mm. a mother, a child. You understand what I'm saying? And it's your people. And, you know, I'm just more like that type that's of person. That's powerful. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm saying. I made a whole magazine just based on that. You ain't even got to think about Gucci. Now, I will say this. Gucci does have these bamboo sunglasses made out of recycled bamboo. Now, that's the road that they need to be taking, right? Mm-hmm. Is having all those resources and then restoring the freaking planet mm. that they've exploited from. Mm. Mm. I'd like to see designers doing more of that. You know, how are you restoring these relationships? Mm. We need to get to some reparations and some restoration, you know? So, um, the blackface thing is terrible. It shows how racist they are. I want to see them use their money to, like I said, get into these rainforests and and build back up these rainforests. Um, donate into some of these tribes that you've been stealing designs from. Okay? So, like, yeah, like, I want to see them get some reparations to where they've been you know, getting their creativity from. You understand what I'm saying? Give mm-hmm. to these communities that you've been stealing from all these years. Mm-hmm. You know. Most definitely. And I'm just, just to keep it real simple. On my end, I just don't want to do anything for anybody that don't want me doing nothing for them. I don't want to eat nobody food who don't want to cook for me. I don't want nobody in my hair who don't want to do my hair. I don't want to be with no man who I know is out of a relationship and I'm still trying to be with him. And I for damn sure don't want to wear no clothes that somebody has told me more than once that they don't want me to wear. That they didn't make it for me. They didn't even have me in thought. And it was never intended for me to wear. And I'm over extending myself by wearing it and putting it in my music and putting it in my music videos. And they send me seasons, uh, uh, deceit, uh, what is it? Uh, Cease and desist letters telling me if if I play it, they're going to sue me. I just don't want to do it. So, T.I., thank you. Because when you put out the song, Raise My Louis Rag, and they told you they didn't want want it in the video, they made you to cancel the whole video shoot. I don't know why you didn't believe them then. So, thank you for being the spokesperson of this Gucci thing because it's only right. Mm Mm-hmm. So, that's a good... Let's end with the millennial anger. Sorry. <laughs> That's what's up. No, pipe. You, thank show. you. Thank you so much for breaking that down. You are like the perfect person. You're a woman. Mm. You've been you've been in a hip hop community. You've been in a high fashion world. So you're the perfect person to give us this insight. Perfect person. That's cool. Yeah. Well, hopefully y'all Negroes stop buying Gucci. <laughs> Please. <laughs> and Louis Vuitton too. Well, all of them. All of them. All of them. No, nah, so um that was a that was a good show, huh? Yeah, I had fun with you. So let's let's sign off. And um so yeah, you know, we're gonna have a, a like a festival, right? For Detroit is different in yeah, August. We are. Yeah, so it's gonna be up the block. We gotta so think about what guys we, come. We gotta think about what we're gonna do. We gotta think about what we're gonna do. Maybe you guys can help us decide what we'll do. It's gonna be in August, so look forward to that. We'll have a date soon. Um, and yeah, March the 3rd at the Charles H. Wright Museum, you want to get your tickets for women in hip hop culture as capital, how we use hip hop to reclaim ourselves. Let's do it. 
So um, you can get the tickets at theright.org forward slash events, the W-R-I-G-H-T dot org forward slash events. And um, you can check me out on social media at Piper Carter. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can also go to the DetroitIsDifferent.com website where you can listen to our podcast from all your streaming services. Shouts out to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and all the rest of them. You can um, just go to DetroitIsDifferent.com, listen to the Piper Carter podcast, as well as the rest of the Detroit is Different content. And we'll see you next week. on concrete on Elm Street. Overwhelmed, speak the ghost. Crack the sound of an owl. Holy Spirit sprinkled on an hour of doom. Victory for those are under tomb. Ministry in a womb, that's a bus stop. Must drop everything you do in the seat, the upper room. Up top, high five, like Grace got a crown. But you must just come with platforms to get down. Shoes away the royalty in town. Taking what we got, but normally we disappear to reinvent formalities. Formally, who's controlling who? It's a Caucasian persuasion or demonic inflation Renovated as cognition, controlling our patience Compassion and conversations rooted And if our hearts have back to the be ripped like blacks from equality See that quantity is indivisible under God But like Sadducees, the law spoke louder than our father see We believe they rules, that rules, school, that innocence With tools that improves influence of fools Guided by shadows, but the light consumes those So by the truth, I own nothing Cause everything that's here is whose Earth and the world are two different belligerent And if two can play that game or make a thing Go right, I pick a flame that can't be tamed by nothing but righteousness. For real. My, my God. My, my God. If what we doing even valid, are we discovering balance in this red, white, and blue? Yeah. Are we aware of each other like we're aware of the colors? Not red, white, and blue. Who's controlling who? What's a hand that means there was a war up above So that man can't understand the power Limited by limited tower They babble with saddle up swords Horses and such Now who's controlling who? My, my Who's controlling who? My, my God When the body is hardly affected Spirit in muck and mire Two-faced constitution illusions that won't fade Lest the fate is finally explored by a realization of faith Will always seem so rare, will become Black and white, we love to be a unit Why rational conclusions? Some jump into confusion and fight Elusive intrusions Suddenly ain't too hard to find Freedom ain't freedom If it keeps you awake at night Now who's controlling who? Are we doing even valid? Are we discovered in malice in this red, white, and blue? Yeah. Are we aware of each other like we're aware of the colors? Not red, white, and blue? Remember to like, share, subscribe, and always listen on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Store, and Spotify. You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network.